calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving god, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hi, I'm Madigan, and you're listening to Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist, a podcast that explores the world through a personal feminist perspective. Hello, hello, Ragers. I hope you all are having a wonderful week so far. I hope that you enjoyed this week's full-length episode on the American Girl Company. I had so much fun researching that episode and putting it together for all of you, and I hope that for many of my millennial listeners, it was a great blast from the past, thinking about all of the dolls that we love to play with so much, and the books that we love to read, and all of that kind of stuff. And you know that one of my favorite things about doing this show is the interactions that I have with all of you listeners, and I really loved the responses from that episode, but I also love really hearing about the things that you want me to talk more about. And I had a listener reach out to me this week asking for some advice, basically, on how to handle having family that might be a little bit more right-leaning and how to go about maintaining a relationship with them, so on and so forth. So this is a somewhat tough one for me since most of my family that is on the right-wing side of things has totally excommunicated me from the family and I don't really have many relationships in my life at the moment where this is an issue and that's pretty much by design. But I know for a lot of people who listen to this show, it isn't possible to completely excommunicate a family member. Maybe you live with them. Maybe you're still a minor and have to go to family gatherings. Or maybe you still really love them deep down and want to salvage some kind of relationship. The magic word here is going to be boundaries. Set boundaries that are manageable for both parties, such as agreeing not to discuss politics in front of each other, agreeing to disagree, have a code word for when someone in the family says something that's upsetting to you so you can change the subject and move on and no feelings can get hurt. And truly, if your family loves you as much as you love them, they're going to respect those boundaries because they want you in their lives as much as you want them in yours. If it's extended family you're thinking of and you don't want to have to sit each of them down for this discussion, have an out when you need it. Leave the room. Text a friend. Go for a walk outside. Whatever you need to do to distance yourself from a conversation or situation that makes you uncomfortable. 
If you're able to, speak up in the group and suggest a change of subject since not everyone in the room agrees with them and you don't want to start a family argument. So there are a few people in my life in lesser capacities than family and close friends that are right wing, like one of the families that I work for. They know what my show is about, and I know they have Donald Trump's books in their bathroom, so we don't discuss it. We let the other live their lives without trying to convince them to go another way. All of this is about respect. And for me, it's a little bit different because it's a working environment. I'm not looking to necessarily be super, super close with them, though I have become very, very close with them. We just don't bring up that topic because everything would implode. With that said, if no respect is shown, you must create stricter boundaries or else the relationship is going to suffer and you will lose it whether you want to or not. Separating yourself from someone who is hurtful to you does not make you a bad family member or friend. That makes you good to yourself. I haven't spoken to my dad since I was 24 years old, and I don't plan on ever seeing him again, and I'm okay with that, because that's where my boundaries with him led. I tried for years to remedy our relationship. Therapy, dad-daughter days, and activities, and I did my best to try to get to know my dad for the first time in my life as an adult, but he blew it again and again and again until I'd had enough. He knows also that there are things that he can do to get me back, and it's been his choice not to do them. He also knows there were things that would have helped him hang on to my mom and their long marriage, but he didn't. That was his choice. Don't feel guilty for cutting people out of your life who are toxic for you, and maybe you don't even have to cut them off for good. Like I said, I gave my dad things that I needed to build a relationship with him. He needs to quit drinking, go to AA, and get therapy. If he decides one day to do those things and wants to reach out to me to talk, I would definitely do so. I don't know if I would invite him back into my life with open arms, but I would listen and consider my options. I would at least hear him out. I've been told by so many people that I'm selfish, that my dad is old and I really should mend my relationship with him before he dies. He's family. You can't do this to family is something I've heard far too often. But those people are giving into society's idea of family and that you have to put up with all of their abuse and bullshit because you're related by blood. Fuck that. As an example of some of the toxicity in my family that I have decided to remove myself from and that they've kicked me out of, here's some text messages between myself and my aunt, my dad's sister, and my godmother after I publicly celebrated my mom's divorce on Facebook. For those of you who aren't aware, I posted... (laughs) I posted my parents' wedding picture from 1972, and over my dad's face, I wrote the words, Happy Divorce Mom. And uh, let's just say the Haggerty family was not thrilled. So to keep this somewhat anonymous, I'm not going to use my aunt's real name, but I am going to use the name that I called her my entire life, which was Oppie, which is kind of a mix of the word aunt and her name mixed together. So you're not going to know her real name. Her last name isn't Haggerty. You're not going to find her, um, but I'm just going to call her Oppie. So Oppie said in a text, you are disgusting. I don't want anything to do with you. Shame on you. Me. I'm not disgusting. Your brother treated me and my mom horribly my entire life, and you've never even bothered to talk to me about it. You're supposed to be my family, too. My dad has traumatized me and broken my heart my entire life, and you know nothing of what you're talking about. Oppie. Marriage takes two. Me. 
Yes, and my mom and I tried with therapy, trying to get him to stop drinking and have mandatory dates with me growing up. We tried. We finally stopped. Oppie, your mother used all of his money. Me, how so? Oppie, it was all about your mom. He sold his dream cabin to make her happy. Do you think my children had a perfect life? They lived hell with two messed up parents. Me, then I wish you had worked harder to give them a better life like my mom tried. I'm sorry for your children then. Oppie, marriage is forever. Me, I'm grown and healed. What you say has no effect on me. My father hasn't contacted me in six years. You can hate me all you want, but you're in the wrong. Marriage is not forever. Marriage is for two people who love each other and work every day to treat each other well. It is not a prison sentence. By name. Don't bother reaching out to me ever again after the way you've treated me. Oppie, goodbye, me, and leave my mom alone. I hope that helps any of you who may be feeling strife amongst their family. I hope, as always, that you are looking out for your best interests first and foremost and protecting yourself. Okay, let's get into the news. The title I've named this first topic is Bye Bye Tucker. Hell has frozen over and Tucker Carlson has been fired from Fox News. Yes, Tucker Carlson, the highest rated host of the Fox network, was fired. But why did they finally get rid of him? Well, let's look back at how Tucker became the prominent media host he is, or was, today. He began his media career in the 90s, writing for the Weekly Standard and other publications. He was then a CNN commentator from 2000 to 2005 and co-host of the network's primetime news debate program, Crossfire, from 2001 to 2005. From 2005 to 2008, he hosted his own show on MSNBC called Tucker. He then became a political analyst for Fox News in 2009, appearing on various programs before receiving his own show. Thanks very much to Rupert Murdoch. On April 24th, 2023, Fox News dismissed Carlson and the executive producer of his evening show, Effective Immediately. His last broadcast was Friday, April 21st, where he signed off by saying, That's it for us this week, and we'll be back on Monday. How eerie now. A rotation of guest hosts will fill in for the slot until a permanent replacement is found. In their statement announcing Tucker's departure, Fox News gave no reason as to why he was terminated. The media began to immediately speculate that it had to do with Fox's defamation settlement with Dominion Voting Systems, Tucker's criticism of Fox leadership, or the pending lawsuit from a former Fox producer, Abby Grossberg, who was alleging things like misogyny and anti-Semitism while working for Tucker. The Dominion case showed that Tucker had made some private comments saying that he, quote, hated Trump and that he doubted the former president's claims of election fraud, as well as criticizing Fox management to them. He allegedly called a senior Fox executive a cunt, according to the Wall Street Journal. Fox execs worried that the private comments made would become public and would be embarrassing to the company. Allegedly, management at Fox has become increasingly concerned about the risks Tucker presents for the network, including his thinly veiled racism, which I don't think is very thinly veiled, which has scared away advertisers, and that he felt he was bigger than Fox. 
He is a narcissist after all, I'm sure of it. According to the New York Times, the final straw for Fox was when they discovered highly offensive and crude remarks by Tucker that had been redacted from the messages earlier released by Dominion. This is wild to me, though, because we all know that Tucker is wild and inflammatory, so these messages should just seem par for the course, in my opinion. If Tucker were to retaliate against Fox, they now have a mountain of blackmail or damaging information on him that Fox would be ready to release. Of course, the company denies this. Tucker released a video on social media on Wednesday in which he expressed his disdain for the stupid debates carried out on national television while the undeniably big topics, the ones that will define our future, get little to no coverage. Multiple Department of Defense officials spoke to Politico, who expressed anonymously their delight with the ousting of Tucker from Fox News. Tucker was a frequent critic of DOD leaders, particularly in their efforts to increase diversity and fighting racism within the ranks of the military. Tucker argued that the military's focus on these things takes away from their preparedness and ultimately the safety of Americans. What do we need to be prepared for right now? Senior Pentagon officials reported saying, We're a better country without him bagging out military every night in front of hundreds of thousands of people. Another DOD official reportedly said, good riddance. But it wasn't just Tucker Carlson who was fired from a prominent network hosting job on Monday. Don Lemon from CNN, who I always want to call Dom Lennon, was also fired from CNN. He was fired three years before his contract would have expired in 2026. According to CNN, they were struggling to book guests for the show to appear on air with Lemon, and polls showed that his popularity among viewers had declined. CNN CEO Chris Litch said in a memo to staff, Don will forever be a part of the CNN family, and we thank him for his contributions over the past 17 years. We wish him well, and we will be cheering him on in his future endeavors. How kind. In a statement of his own, Don Lemon said that his agent had alerted him of his termination on Monday morning. I'm stunned, he said. He argued that the company didn't have the decency to inform him of his firing directly. If this is true, yeah, this would suck, especially after working for them for 17 years. He went on in a statement, At no time was I ever given any indication that I would not be able to continue to do the work that I have loved at this network. CNN released a rebuttal saying that Lemon's side of the story was, quote, inaccurate. They said he was offered an opportunity to meet with management, but instead released a statement on Twitter. It's getting messy. Back in February, he was under fire for some misogynistic comments made on his show, CNN This Morning, in a discussion about Republican presidential candidate Nikki Haley's proposal that older politicians take competency tests. Lemon stated that the 51-year-old Haley herself wasn't in her prime. Ugh. He digs a deeper hole by saying that a woman is only, quote, considered to be in her prime in 20s and 30s and maybe 40s. Now, I'm going to play devil's advocate here for a second because I wonder if he's not saying that he particularly believes that a woman is in her prime between her 20s and her 40s. What I think he might be saying is commentary on the fact that society views women as being in their prime, probably mostly in their 20s and 30s. And even by the time they're in their 40s, society starts to view women differently. So 
playing devil's advocate, I wonder if maybe that's what he was getting at. But the way that he said it, especially as someone who's as seasoned of a host as he is, was not appropriate. The way he should have said it is how I just said it, you know, and I've only got five years under my belt. His co-hosts Poppy Harlow and Caitlin Collins pushed back on his comments saying they were unacceptable. After this incident, the CEO had a meeting with Lemon, who apologized and agreed to participate in any formal training sessions needed of him. He told the staff in an editorial meeting, when I make a mistake, I own it, and I own this one as well. I appreciate his accountability, and I kind of want to know more about why he's gone. (laughs) It's very interesting that it wouldn't just be another conversation or something like that. I feel like there has to be something more going on for his firing three years before his contract is up. Alrighty, let's take a quick break before we cover the last topic of the episode. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. All right, I'm back. And lastly, yet another minority legislator was banned from their House floor for absolutely ludicrous reasons. On Wednesday, the Republican-dominated House in Montana voted to ban Representative Zoe Zephyr, the first trans representative in the state, from being on the House floor for the rest of this legislative session, which lasts about another week and a half. For some background, Zephyr has been very vocal about the multitude of anti-LGBTQ plus bills being introduced in the 2023 legislative session. On April 18, 2023, she admonished those who supported Senate Bill 99, which would prohibit gender-affirming medical and surgical care to trans minors. She said, If you are forcing a trans child to go through puberty when they're trans, that is tantamount to torture, and this body should be ashamed. This remark triggered a rejection from Republican Majority Leader Sue Vinton, to which Zephyr cut in saying, The only thing I will say is if you vote yes on this bill and yes on these amendments, I hope the next time there's an invocation when you bow your heads in prayer, you see the blood on your hands. The Republicans didn't like this. The Montana Freedom Caucus issued a statement which misgendered Zephyr, calling for her censure. Zoe Zephyr, of course, stood by her words, and House Minority Leader Kim Abbott defended her as well. Abbott described the statement made by the Freedom Caucus, quote, blatantly disrespectful and the farthest thing from imaginable from the commitment to civil discourse that these letter writers demand. Shortly thereafter, House Speaker Matt Geiger refused to let Zephyr speak on any bills, despite the fact that no censure had taken place. On Monday, April 24th, about 100 people showed up to support Zoe. This led to a heavy police presence. That afternoon, Zoe was once again denied speaking privileges, which prompted all of the Democratic lawmakers to stand up in protest. And at one point, protesters in the House gallery began chanting, Let her speak! Resulting in a half-an-hour delay in proceedings as riot police were brought in to clear the gallery. This sounds like pandemonium for no reason. 
Under the laws of the United States, all citizens have the right to protest until it reaches a point of violence or other crimes are committed. Standing up for a legislator is not a breach of these laws, and I really do not think that riot police were necessary. There is no reason as to why the speaker is denying Zoe from speaking, and people are fucking mad about it. What should have happened was after seeing the fuss it was making, they allow Zoe to speak. Pick your battles. This person was elected in and deserves to speak. The fact that she's being punished because other people stood up for her is unacceptable to me. When the riot cops showed up, most of the Democratic legislators remained in the House chambers, mostly in the wings, but Republicans all quickly evacuated. Zoe Zephyr remained at her desk on the floor, silently holding up a microphone. Seven were arrested and were released after booking without needing to post bail. The hearing was held on Wednesday to vote on a proposal to sanction Zoe's actions during the protest two days prior. House Majority Leader Vinton said that that day, Zoe, quote, encouraged the continuation of the disruption of this body, placing legislators, staff, and even our pages at risk of harm. Freedom in this body involves obedience to all the rules of this body, including the rules of decorum. Zoe was then only given five minutes to address the chamber before the vote. She said that Republicans, who hold a supermajority in Montana's House and Senate, were using decorum as a tool of oppression, and that the restrictions on her speech and of protesters supporting her were a nail in the coffin of democracy. Zoe went on to defend her actions and described the protests as peaceful. She made a statement to CNN saying, This was a bill that was one of many targeting the LGBTQ community in Montana. This legislation has systematically attacked that community. We have seen bills targeting our art forms, our books, our history, and our health care. And I rose up in defense of my community that day, speaking to harms that these bills bring about. I have friends who have taken their lives because of these bills. When the speaker asks me to apologize on behalf of decorum, what he is really asking me to do is be silent when my community is facing bills that get us killed. He's asking me to be complicit in this legislature's eradication of our community, and I refuse to do so. I will always refuse to do so. Representative David Beatty, a Republican, said Zoe should have left the House floor or helped try to calm the crowd of protesters on Monday. To me, it sounds like she was just sitting there. That hardly sounds like inciting. If anyone incited a protest, it was a leader who was not allowing an elected official to speak. Beatty went on to say, Spirited debate and free expression of ideas cannot flourish in an atmosphere of turmoil and instability. No, equal spirited debate and free expression of ideas cannot happen unless all elected members of the House are given the opportunity to share their peace. He goes on to say, What is at stake is the expectation that any member of this body, whoever that might be, has a duty to strive to maintain decorum so that the people's work, the work of all Montanans, can be accomplished. Why don't you look at your own party's decorum and get back to me? This sounds a lot like the pot calling the kettle black. Zoe will be allowed back onto the House floor once this session is over, and she said, We have a week and a half left of this session, and we'll be covering important topics, housing bills, the state's budget, and every bill that gets forward for the remainder of this session, there will be 11,000 Montanans whose representative is missing, whose voice cannot be heard on those bills. 
I want to play a little video clip to you that shows Justin Pearson and Justin Jones in a conversation with Zoe Zephyr that I really want to play for you so that you can hear kind of a conversation between all of these people that have been unfairly banished from their jobs and their responsibilities as elected officials. So here is a bit of audio from that clip. I mean, that is what gives me hope is that if you look at if you look at what they did is, is, is that their attacks on democracy are galvanizing a movement. They have lost a generation. And, and the truth be told is that, you know, in the South, we have a saying a dying meal kicks the hardest. These systems of white supremacy, these systems of transphobia, of homophobia, of, of, of plantation politics are dying. And, and so that's why we're seeing this extreme reaction, because they know that we look at the screen right now. This represents the future of America. This represents the vision of America that they're so fearful of because it is an inclusive America. It's one that affirms human dignity. It's one that affirms our solidarity with each other, our connection. But, but let them be on notice that this is just the beginning, that we are going to continue to push forward toward that vision of America that lives up to what it says on paper, toward that vision of America that, that challenges this notion that people like us don't belong in elected office, because we're not going in there, um, you know, to, to make friends we're going in there to make change and that's the difference is that we are not going to assimilate we're not going to conform to a system that's been meant to make us feel small meant to stifle our voice and the voices of our constituents but we're going with this bold mandate to say that we have to push forward together and that and that these systems that, that their time has come and that a new generation is rising up to to to, to make america um what it ought to be and that conversation that message is something that really gives me hope it's something that I think about often is this next generation that is viewing all of this. I can only hope that they are receiving then the proper education on what's really happening rather than a very skewed idea that they may be getting from more of their right wing family members. And that's very concerning to me. But you know what? I think I think kids are really fucking smart. I know so many people in my life who have grown up in the most oppressive religious, political, you know, communities, and they've come out to be just as progressive as I am. So I don't think that just because you're from a certain family or place that you're necessarily, you know, bound to be conservative. But I do think that that is still a concern of mine, because I do know that there are a lot of like young Republicans out there who are really hell-bent on upholding a lot of these really dangerous ideas that a lot of our lawmakers and legislators hold right now. But the thing that makes me really happy is that there are even these districts in these really red states, like this part of Montana, which I believe is Missoula, that Zoe represents. And there are like a blue dot in a red state. And those little blue dots... <laughs> give me so much hope because look at the person that they elected. Look at the changes that she's making already and the kind of impact she's made on that state and in that community. It truly is commendable. I'm proud of her for defending herself, for defending her community, for standing strong, for behaving well. She did absolutely nothing wrong. And that's exactly how I felt about the Justins. You know, I think it was last week that I talked about them. I feel the same way. I am so proud of them. I see their bravery and I applaud the fact that there are people that are able to make the waves that they have. And I hope to see more of that in the future come from this group in particular. I want to see a buddy comedy with the three of them. <laughs> 
All right. Well, that is all that I have for news and advice, I guess, today. But if I could give you another small piece of advice, I would highly recommend going to patreon.com slash angry neighborhood feminist and joining one of the levels that works best for you. If you want to join the angry feminist book club, you can join at the $5 level. You will receive two episodes a month on whatever book I am currently covering. Hopefully within the next few days, I should be getting up an episode where I am covering Still Learning by my dear friend India Oxenberg, discussing the seven years that she spent within the Nexium cult and how she got out. I will also be having another episode where I interview her, but this time I'm going to ask your questions. So if you want to be a part of all of that, please go to Patreon and join the $5 level at the Angry Feminist Book Club. But if you want to get all of these episodes ad-free and get more and more bonus content coming soon now that I'm almost done with my other job. You can join the $8 level, which I have titled The Feminist Faves. There you're going to receive all sorts of extra content, plus everything that is included with the Angry Feminist Book Club. So I think it's a pretty good deal. All right, I have so much more coming up in the future for all of you, and I am so, so excited, and I'm always so thankful for all of your support. But if you haven't yet left me a review on Apple Podcasts, I would greatly appreciate it. Just leave a five-star review with a quick sentence about why you enjoy the show, and if you listen on Spotify, rate the show over there as well. All right, well, that is everything that I have for you today. With all of that being said, I encourage you to rage on. Bye! Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.